welcome back to Basic Bible 101. We are working our way through the New Testament, and last podcast we covered the letters that were written by Paul, some that he wrote while he was um, on his various missionary journeys, and some towards the end that he wrote while he was in prison, um, really awaiting his execution. In today's podcast, we are going to cover the letters that are either we don't know the author or that uh, was written by someone other than Paul. Now, in Hebrews, it's the first one we're going to cover. It's very possible that it was written by Paul. It's very familiar to his style of writing, and the arguments made are obviously made by someone well-versed in the Jewish traditions. However, it doesn't say that for sure, so we don't know. It may be somebody who had been trained under Paul, or it may be that this was uh, really just Paul, but it was dictated to, uh, you know, to someone who was the, the scribe, because at really towards the end of his life, Paul could not see very well. Okay, so Hebrews, let's look at Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is primarily a letter to uh, Jewish Christians. Christians that uh, started out as a Jew and then adopted the understanding that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, one of the challenges that they had was that they didn't want to give up their Jewish faith. They realized that uh, all of the Old Testament, all that they had been taught up to this point, was pointing to the Messiah. And so none of it did they, in fact, Jesus himself was a Jew, so they didn't want to give up any of their traditions, even though the Jesus was the fulfillment of most of the traditions. And so we see that the writer of Hebrew goes through one by one and points out that Jesus is our high priest, that Jesus was higher than the angels, Jesus was higher than the prophets of old, that he was from the beginning, that he was God and is God. In this book, we see that the writer references Melchizedek, the high priest and king of Salem. He is referred to clear back in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. And so for to really understand how significant uh, this, the writer, what the writer was saying, how significant it was, you would have to be a Jew and understand their history. Uh, some of the, what's written in here talks about um, why we they worshipped before in, in a certain way that was pointing to the Messiah, the fact that they sacrificed animals for the uh, covering of sin. And he, in this book, he, he points out that Jesus was our sacrifice. And so this is a very good book. If you have someone who is a Jew that you are trying to share the gospel with, it's a good book to go back and review and really understand. There is one passage in this book that's rather famous. It's called the uh, Faith, the Hall of Fame, basically, the Hall of Fame for Faith. And this is in chapter 11 of Hebrews. We're going to take a minute and read this because I think that it sets the stage for what the culmination of everything that we have uh, learned up to this point. Okay, so let's read some of this. Uh, Hebrews 11, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he com was commended as a righteous man. When God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life, so that he did not experience death. He could not be found, because God had taken him away. 
For before he was taken he was commended as one who pleases God, and without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we can see by this writer that he's saying, all the way through the rest of this chapter, these individuals believed God. They they trusted God. They had faith in God, and they acted on that faith. And because they did, God credited it to them as righteous. They they were accepted as uh, one who God uh, received God's favor. And what the writer is saying here too is that. Faith has always been at work uh, through the Jewish tradition and even now points to the Savior Jesus, the high priest, the one who would come, the promised Messiah. And so uh, this is a great passage to, to spend some time studying. If you have not studied the Old Testament, it will be a little difficult. It's probably better if you have studied the Old Testament because a lot of these names will be very familiar and you will remember the story of Abraham and Isaac and so forth. Uh, the, the book of Hebrews is probably a little bit more of a an argument for Christianity. And so for that reason, it is a good one to, to read just to make sure you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Um, let's turn to then the book of, well, let me ask you this question. Through the, the what we just read, Hebrews 11, how does the author show that faith was pre-existing for a right relationship with God? And if you said, well, he shows it because he shows examples of it, that's what I would be looking for. That's right. He is trying to show that uh, this isn't just, this. all this faith thing didn't just begin with Jesus. It's been there all along. Okay, let's turn to the book of James, which is right after the book of Hebrews. James was written by uh, James, the brother of Jesus. It is a letter that he is writing so that he can basically defend Christians that are being persecuted and he is giving them encouragement. Let's just look at chapter 1 of the book of James and remember this is a letter James is writing to believers. It says the 12 tribes scattered. What he's really saying is uh, believers everywhere. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must, not, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So we see that James is saying, if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, ask God and he will tell you. But when God gives you that word, what you are supposed to be doing, you better follow it. Because if you keep changing your mind and saying, well, maybe not, then God is saying, or James is saying that God will not... Uh, give you any more wisdom because you're not following what he's already said. This whole first part where he talks about consider it joy when you face trials. Remember at this time the Christians are beginning to face terrible persecution. Uh, James is one of the first martyrs shortly after Stephen and so this is written towards the the beginning of when the church was really just uh, the believers were just really beginning to form um, as Christians and they had been scattered because of the martyrdom of Stephen. And they were afraid for their lives, so they went all, you know, everywhere. 
these churches sprang up in Judea, Samaria, just all the way in, obviously up to Damascus, because remember that's where we hear about Paul going to the on the road to Damascus. So James' book is very clear on being strong in times of temptation, and he says really that faith without works is dead, that if you really do believe and you have faith, then you will uh, live like someone who has faith, that it will be obvious in the outward, in your outward actions, in the fruit from your life. And this is quite a different spin on um, what faith means uh, as compared to what Paul was preaching. Because remember, Paul was very clear with the Galatians. It's by grace you've been saved. Nothing else uh, that no one can boast because it's in God that you have the, uh, any right at all to be a Christian. No right, really, but just the grace of God, which pulls you and draws you and uh, accepts you. Whereas James is saying, you know, it, I don't believe that you're really accepted this faith if nothing in your life changes. And you may say, well, these two seem to be at odds. They aren't at odds. What's happening is that Paul is telling the early Christians that you believed because uh, be, by grace. You believed because Jesus died on the cross for you. James is saying, okay, now live like that. Live like someone who has been saved, who has been changed from the inside out. And uh, even though it's, it's difficult because we have, even today, the challenge between working at our sa our, out our salvation, working to um, be approved by God, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of pleasing God. It's part of how, what we want to do when we're a Christian. But also we have to remember that it's not us that's able to do that at all. It's God working in us. And so that's where uh, Paul comes in where he says that it's grace that's at work in you uh, to, to work out your salvation. So just so you remember that Galatians is the grace book, James is more the works book. And, and James does have some pretty tough things to say. He talks about taming the tongue. He talks about submitting yourself to God. He talks about being wise. Uh, he's a little bit critical of rich people. Actually, I shouldn't say a little bit. He's very critical. In fact, chapter 5 of the book of James says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted, your moths have eaten your clothes, your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. So you can see he's, <laughs> he's not cutting them any slack. And the reason is because at this time, the rich would oppress the poor so badly. And many of the believers were poor. And so he is basically lashing out, uh, telling them, you need to share with your brothers. Um, and then he goes into this part at the end of chapter 5 where he says, be patient in your suffering. What is going to happen from here on out is that Christians will go through terrible suffering. In fact, it's in about 70 AD, 70, the year 70 after uh, what we think is about the time Jesus was born, that all of Jerusalem is uh, basically destroyed by Rome. And uh, many of the Christians suffered through that as well, although many of them had also scattered by this time. And so, anyway, when you think of the book of James, think works, think uh, being wise, the asking for wisdom, and uh, taming the tongue, and really watching out that you're not hoarding what God has given you uh, at the expense of some of your brothers and sisters that are in need. 
All right, let's look at First Peter. First and Second Peter were both written by Peter, of course, who was the basically founder of the early church. He was the one that was the appointed leader by Jesus when Jesus said, feed my sheep. And so Peter writes from the perspective of a father, of someone tenderly um, admonishing and encouraging his little children. And so in it, it's, it's kind of the same atmosphere or... Um, approach that we get from John, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But Peter is um, really challenging the believers that they are strangers in this world. He's writing back to the ones that are in Galatia and Asia, all these different places, and he is encouraging them to pursue a life that's worthy of the calling that they've been given, to be holy. He talks about how important it is to be set apart from the world around you because you're unique you're different he talks about how important it is to be submissive to the rulers and authorities over you to masters because some of the people he's writing to uh, the message is being given to uh, slaves people who are slaves uh, let's look at one particular passage turn to first peter 2 uh, 11 through 21 I'm going to read that dear friends I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he he visits us submit yourselves therefore uh, for the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether to the kings as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong, and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Okay, let's, from that, can you see, even after that, it's a slave, submit yourself to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are harsh, or who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man uh, bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you may follow in his steps. All right, who is Peter telling people to, telling the believers to submit themselves to? And, and why is he saying this? Uh, it, when you're thinking about this, remember that he's saying submit yourselves to all the authorities above you. And we all have authorities. We have bosses. We have parents. We have husbands. We have uh, church leaders, elders, uh, pastors. We have uh police officers, we have uh, the government, it's the federal government, state and local government, there really is no excuse for um, resisting the law um, anywhere along the line. And I know that as, as free people, as Americans, we have this tendency to say, well, I'm not under anyone's authority. But the truth is we are always under authority. If nothing else, we're under the authority of God. But God has placed above us authority. And, be, and it, once again, Peter is saying, 
respect that authority, live in such a way that they have nothing to condemn you with because you are living in such a way that honors them and respects them, and yet uh, you hold to the truth of what you believe. Uh, part of Second uh, Peter also, well, actually, it's really in First Peter where he talks about chapter 3, wives and husbands to love one another, to submit to one another, to be... Um, respectful of the other and I know that in our day and age that's not a popular opinion that that for the most part we want to be independent and we want to be um, considered an individual and on our own and not subject to someone else's rule or or demands you get the idea here what he's saying is that um, because you are willing to submit, just in, in another passage it talks about, well, actually it's Paul that writes uh, in Philippians 2, submit yourselves just the way that Jesus submitted. And if you remember, Jesus was beaten. He was uh, forced to carry his cross. He was hung on the cross for no reason. For for uh, He was an innocent man. And yet he was willing to submit to the authorities because ultimately he knew he was submitting to God. He was doing what God uh, had planned all along. The, sacri- his, the sacrifice of his blood for all of us. And so there may be times when we're called upon to submit ourselves under an authority, under a, a boss, under a spouse that um, requires us to be... Um, to give up our own rights. I think that's what it, call, comes, what it comes down to for us. We think we have certain rights, you know, especially as Americans. We have rights, the right to free speech, the right to, um, you know, bear arms, the right, various rights that we hold dear. And what we have to realize is that being a Christian means that you give up rights, that you let go of the things that you have a right to for the sake of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that everybody should just roll over and be walked on like a doormat, but I am saying that think long and hard before you resist something just because your rights have been um, violated. Rather, stop and say, what can come of this? What can come of an attitude of um, submission? And the best example I can think is Gandhi, you know, where you just stop and say, I'm not going to war against this. But I do believe what I believe. And you know what? We can always control ourselves. All right. Let's uh, look at Second Peter. So through uh, Peter's writings, he is encouraging the believers to watch out for false prophets. Uh, they have been numerous at this point. Uh, teachers pop up everywhere that are preaching and saying different things about Jesus that's just a little off. Sometimes it's a lot off. We have the same problem today where we have people who are preaching in the name of Jesus and yet what they're preaching isn't at all the gospel or at all what we know to be true according to God's word. And so Peter is saying, he's warning the believers, check out everything that you hear. Test it. Make sure that this person who is trying to teach you truly does know and believe uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, in the second letter, he is saying that there are many people who are enemies of the cross. And uh, in look at Second Peter two one through four, Peter writes, "But there will also uh, there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers 
among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Now, why would someone do that? Why would they introduce a destructive heresy? Well, we see here, it says it's pretty clear. Um, even denying the sovereign Lord who who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been uh, sleeping. What he's saying is these people are going to come to no good in the end. But what what they're doing, what these uh, false teachers are doing, is they're taking advantage of you for money. It's greed. It all comes down to that. And if you think about it, the things that we have had the most problem with, even in the United States of false teachers, has been for greed. Someone taking advantage of people who are seeking the Lord, and therefore they think they can sell it. They could sell the gospel, uh, which of course we know is not true. The other thing is with false prophets at this time, some of them, false teachers, false prophets, we would say, ones who said, well, this is what God says. This is what he means. This is the word of God. Remember in the Old Testament, they had false prophets too, who were always speaking against Jeremiah and some of the Isaiah, some of the other prophets. But teachers in the New Testament that were teaching Jesus that it sounded like truth, but it wasn't. Many times what they were doing is trying to uh, destroy the early church by causing a wedge of friction between the different believers. And if there was a slight difference in the way that they worshipped or when they worshipped or how they worshipped, well, then that would cause conflict. And it was one of the ways that they could um, just sort of get in there and cause trouble. Not much different than we have today. Okay. Now let's take a look at 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. Now 1st John starts out very similar to the way the book of John does. It says that that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and with our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So he's talking about the word of life, which is how he describes Jesus in the same way that if you go back to the very first um, book that uh, was written by John, Apostle John. Um, it's right after Luke, Luke John. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was God, with God in the beginning. So he is setting the same precedence. That's part of the reason that we know this was written by John. He is writing um, as an eyewitness to what, and, and saying that everything that I have told you before, I am uh, reinforcing here. And so we want to be children that walk in the light. He does a lot about speaking to them like my dear children, my little children, very fatherly with a lot of care and concern. Um, obviously, he is uh, concerned that the um, children of God walk in such a way that they are not part of the world. And he talks even from the beginning not to love the world or anything in the world. That if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What he's saying is that you can't serve two masters. You will either love one or hate and hate the other or vice versa. And it's the same way when we have to decide our priorities. Is God the priority or is the world in our own way the priority? And so he warns against the Antichrist. Now, uh, we have not talked much about the Antichrist. We will get into that a little more in our next podcast about Revelations. But the every so often you see it bubble up in one of the letters where the writer will say, 
you know, the Antichrist, the, the ones who are coming to destroy you. Uh, sometimes they're referring to all the little false teachers that are out there. And sometimes they're referring to a major uh, political force that is going to come and really destroy the church. And like I said, we'll talk about that more um, in the next podcast. But you can see here that there, John is very protective of these new believers. Um, and some of them aren't new. At the time he's writing First John, he's been around the block quite a while. He's one of the ones that hung in there and is still uh, serving in the church, uh, even though he's in a, of an advanced age. John also wrote Revelations. And so when we study that next in the next podcast, you'll see... A sort of a continuation of his the thoughts that he has in first second and third John first uh, John 4 talks about how we should test every spirit to see if it's false um, you can see once again that he, they are, he is very much making sure that believers um, are following the true God the true gospel in first John 1 9 he, he writes uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Once again, he is reinforcing that you know the gospel that you first believed and don't believe what anybody else tells you different because this is the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and that because of that we have right standing with God. Now, in his second letter, he is writing as an elder. We don't know for sure about this, but it says, To the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Okay, we see that he is addressing this, that um, he uses this metaphor, I think, when he's talking about the lady and her children. What is happening is because the church is getting more and more uh, persecuted and and uh, is having a harder time getting communications to one another, that they begin to start writing in code. And they do this because they want to get the word out without making it seem like they're rebelling against the establishment, which of course they were not. This continued in the book of Revelations. That's why sometimes Revelations is so hard to understand because we don't know how much of it is in code and is referring to certain things and how much of it is uh, literal. Okay, in his uh, second John, uh, he's clearly stating that Jesus was human. There was a myth going around that Jesus was really just God and he just sort of appeared on earth. And John is saying, no, no, I was there with him. I saw him you know, bleed. I saw him die. I was with him. You know, I saw him eat. I know that the, that he was a human being. He was a real person. And in so doing, he's hoping to counter the false teaching that's going about. In his third letter, he writes to Gaius. And we don't know for sure who Gaius is, but the idea here is that he is kind of setting the record straight on a few things. Uh, he encourages believers to support one another in their service for the saints. He sort of gives a warning against this one guy, Diotrephes, apparently something like this, who was kind of countering what John had said previously. And then he uh, commends Demetrius uh, as someone worth following. He, he is giving his uh, weight of support behind Demetrius. And because we don't really know a lot about these characters, that, that's kind of the challenge with the New Testament. 
we just get little tiny snippets from the different letters and from that we have to sort of piece together who is he talking about and where and when. Okay, the last uh, letter that I'm going to talk about today is the letter um, written by Jude. Jude was a younger brother of James, therefore probably a younger brother of Jesus. And it says here that, and I don't know if he uh, was very active in the early church, but the the um, message we get from him is that he's a servant of Jesus Christ. So whether he came to know the Lord much later or whether he he was always a believer, but we just don't hear much about him. I'm not sure. But from this letter, it's very clear that he uh, is close to the believers, that he um, wants to write about salvation that they share. He, he's very excited about his faith. And through this letter, he is saying, we need to defend the gospel, that we need to know what we believe and live by the power of it and then defend it. Uh, he condemns false teachers, as we've heard from others, and he reminds the believers that Jesus is able to keep them in the faith, that they, even though others are pulling them away, that the Spirit of God within them is the one that's going to hold them true to uh, the faith. All right, well, that is all of our other books, the ones that were not written by Paul, that I'm going to go over. The um, New Testament... There were more than likely other books, as I've mentioned about 1 Corinthians, there appeared to be a, a missing book. And there's controversy over, well, why don't we have all the books? And if you'll notice that sometimes there's different books in the Catholic Bible than in the Protestant Bible. And all of that I will say for you to do some of your own investigation, maybe do some in investigation on the internet and, and some reading of some different authors. Uh, for the most part, I believe that the Bible that we have in our hands is the one that the Lord intended for us to have. And if he wants us to have more insight, he will make that known to us. But for the time being, this is the word that God gave us to live up to. And you know what? There's enough here that I think it will last us more than a lifetime. Uh, next week, we are going to talk about Revelations and what is this book? It's an amazing book in that it uh, has a lot of symbolism and a lot of um, insight into the future. And that's why people like to study it. It's a prophetic book. Those of you that took the Old Testament will remember when we did uh, Ezekiel and some of those, uh, Daniel, some of the books that had a lot of prophecy in them, that you have to walk kind of a fine line because you don't know how much has already happened and how much is yet to come. So we will get into that next week, but the best thing you can do is spend some time at least reading the first five or six chapters of Revelations. And if you can read deeper into that than that, all the better because you'll begin to get a sense of why it has been such a controversial uh, book and people have such different feelings about it. Okay, and after we cover Revelations and we are done with the New Testament, I really can't believe it when I started this process. <laughs> I really thought it was really going to take us only a year. And if you are just now starting the podcast, it should have only taken you a year. It just took me a while to get them all recorded and up there on the internet. Um, I, For those of you that uh, have been trying to do homework with this and would like to take the New Testament final, please email me and I'll send you that. In addition, there is a review sheet that is available through the leader's guide that you can also request and of course there's more information on the website basicbible101.com and so until our next time thank you for listening be blessed mm -hmm.